You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Had to bring back the upbeat intro because we are upbeat podcast hosts today with the Ravens back on the right track with a big win against the Dallas Cowboys. I am Antonio Barbera, joined by my co-hosts who I can now positively turn to and say, for example, Tim Horsey. Tim, how are you today? How are things? I'm fantastic. We're, we're talking after a Ravens win, which, you know, we kind of got accustomed to last season and then a little bit at the start of this season. And uh, it's been a little bit of a tumultuous time for our favorite birds, but uh, we're back in the win column. So I'm excited to talk about the game with you guys. And on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing great, Antonio. What a game it was. Easy money, to quote one Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, Delightful game to watch, uh, for the most part. You know, as we do on this program, still things to nitpick, but obviously always great when the Ravens get a win. Uh, Fairly convincing win, little stress at the end. Uh, I think it was just what the team needed, certainly what I needed after a string of Ravens defeats. So, uh, yeah, very in a great mood today. So I'm ready to dive into it. We are recording on a Wednesday with the Ravens playing Tuesday night in one of their, what is seeming like a pattern now of odd days to be having a football game, playing on a Tuesday. But the game itself, maybe a sloppy, slow start for the Ravens' first possession. Um, but after that, after taking a lead, one of the more comfortable, slow, casual Ravens victories that we've had in a long time in my opinion, mostly because of the rushing numbers. 
So instead of doing our sort of first half, second half this week, I think it's it's time to go back to the good, the bad, and the ugly based on how this game played out. So I want to start with the good first because there was a lot of it. And I think the first thing we have to address is how good the running game was last night, or should I say Tuesday night, for the Ravens between Lamar and the backs. Yes, against a weak opponent in that area, glaringly so, but it is still, we said this last week, Ravens need a get-right game on the ground, and boy, did they get it with 294 rushing yards. Thoughts on the ground game and other positives that you saw from the Ravens on Tuesday? I like that they just kept it simple. They didn't overthink it for this game. They knew the Cowboys were bad at running the ball. You know, Lamar comes in, and we'll get into him. Um, but he, basically, very little practice time leading into this game, right? Um, and so I think, you know, they didn't try to overcomplicate things. They knew what they have. They have a quarterback who really hasn't thrown that many balls, uh, hasn't really practiced, who, you know, had like actual like COVID symptoms when he got COVID and stuff was sick. Um, so they kept it simple and they looked at the Cowboys like worst run defense in the league and just pounded it and pounded it and pounded it. They didn't overthink things and it was great. And they mixed it up. You know, I mean, the numbers are astounding. Gus Edwards, seven for one Oh one Lamar had 13 carries for 94 Dobbins, 11 for 71. And then even on just six carries, Mark Ingram had 28 yards, a few crit- critical, uh, First downs there. Um, So I was just really impressed. Uh, Not even impressed, really, but just, like, pleased with how simple they kept things and how they were just able to execute on that and really get, I think, as we've said, the kind of the game they needed to have. Uh, Just keep it simple, get the yards, get out with a win, and get to 7-5. and I I was really, really pleased with that. Yeah, on the run game, I mean, you kind of nailed it. Um, Two things. One, I can't stress enough how bad the Cowboys are at stopping the run. All you have to do is watch the Lamar Jackson fourth down play, which when it's cool, Lamar kind of seeming, and we'll talk about it more, as Jay said, happy to be out on the field, taking command again, telling the punting unit or the kicking unit, whatever would have come out there because it would have been a long field goal. Stay off the field. We're going to get this. And then Leighton Van Der Esch looking like a middle schooler trying to read this read option and just allowing probably the biggest hole Lamar's ever going to see in his <laughs> professional career uh, for the touchdown. The Ravens, as you mentioned, uh, 294 yards on the ground, their fourth most all time, but it was also the third most the Cowboys have given up in a game in their history, just to show how historically bad they are. So got to be who's in front of you. And, you know, as Antonio said, Perfect opponent to bounce back against. The other thing I just want to say, too, I was a little concerned at the start of the game not seeing a lot of J.K. Dobbins. And it was a lot of, why in the world are we going to have to talk about this again? You know, his agent doing the whole free J.K. nonsense on Twitter, and we'll get to more Twitter nonsense later in the show. (laughs) But then, if you look at the snap count totals, Dobbins had 21 snaps, Edwards 18 snaps, Ingram 11, and Hill 6. And I think... That is the plan going forward, and even into next year, just put it this way, I would not be surprised if Mark Ingram is not on this team. For as good as a locker room guy as he is, this is now the Dobbins-Gus Bus show, in my opinion. And um, just another note, too. This is why you find kind of a committee of running backs, and you don't overpay these guys. And this is a conversation I'm sure we'll get to when J.K.'s contract is coming up, if he continues to play at the level he's at and improve. 
Ezekiel Elliott this year, who uh, makes a lot of money, has one carry or uh, one carry of more than 20 yards. Gus Edwards had three of them in the game on Tuesday night. <laughs> All that needs to be said, uh, the rushing attack was was incredible. They were really, really strong from them. Yeah, box score wise, that is as ideal uh, a situation you could you could have, not just with the yards gained, but the distribution of carries between all these different runners, which is what we talked about at the beginning of the season. This should have been one of the big positives of this team is how they could spread the ball around on the ground. As for Lamar, 12 completions in this game, only 17 attempts. The interception on the first possession on a ball where the three of us sort of wanted to split the difference on whose fault it really was in terms of whether the throw was off, whether um, Hollywood Brown didn't quite fight hard for the ball. But in the end, I sort of liked that very, very small negative to start the game because in theory that was some of the biggest adversity that the Ravens were going to face in this game at all. Um, a turnover early, giving up points early, being down 3, three to nothing. But then on the next possession is where, as Tim mentioned, that's when Hollywood on that, or excuse me, that's when Lamar on that possession wanted to keep the Ravens special teams on the sidelines and ends up with one of the best runs of the season and an identical run that he has had so far against all three NFC East teams that he has played. Uh, if you can find a highlight, he has a basically a 40-yard option touchdown run just straight up the gut against all three of those teams. So watch out, New York Giants, because that is coming for you. Uh, also, another positive on the whole, although Lamar only had 12 completions... Six of them, I would say, were very important ones, and those are the five to Marquise Brown and the one to Miles Boykin in a game where Sneed was out uh, for COVID reasons, Andrew's still out for COVID reasons, Des Bryant, a very, very late scratch for a positive test at like 7.30 at night before the game started, with all three of those guys out, um, you know, in theory, it's sort of a, a show-up time for, for the receivers you still do have. Um, and Boykin with a, with a long touchdown catch where first I thought he was going to drop it. Then I thought he was going to trip over his own feet. Then I thought he was going to get stripped before he got to the end zone, but none of those things happened. So I got to give props to Miles Boykin, who I've given a lot of flack to as, as the season has gone along. And then Hollywood, five catches, 39 yards, and an awesome over the shoulder touchdown catch into the back of the end zone where the three of us talked about his route running on that particular play. But so I give I give two thumbs up to to the two uh, receivers who were still on the roster at, at game time. Um, what other positives did you guys see, either offensively or defensively? Yeah, just quickly on the Hollywood stuff too, because obviously you know everybody started the season with the workout videos and thinking this is this is wide receiver number one, and he's quickly become kind of a whipping boy for for the Ravens fan base. Um, you know, the whole the soldiers tweet and then dropping balls after that, yada, yada, yada. Let me just put it this way. No insane person likes to root against players on their own team. They re- like, you know, we criticize guys all the time here. That's kind of what the part of the podcast is for. But when you're watching the game, you don't like actively rooting against these guys. And I tell you what, the, the interception, which I put a lot on Hollywood, uh, making kind of a the lack of effort there. There was another out pass where he made no effort to try and keep his feet in on a ball that he probably could have. And you're starting to think, man, where has it all gone wrong for this guy? You're starting to get angry at him. So just another mention of credit to him for that 
that throw from Lamar is incredible. But that awareness to change his route, it was a schoolyard play. He had a he had a button hook that he was running, and he saw that Lamar was breaking out of the pocket, so he knew he could get away from his guy. Very Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown-esque, if you look at it that way. Um, and then, you know, both guys, Antonio, you mentioned it, the catch was amazing as well. So really, really, you know, you talk about an individual bounce-back game for a guy, especially after the adversity early on. Um, I thought that was great from him. To move to the other side of the ball, a guy I want to shout out that uh, I was texting with buddies during the game about this outside of the pod, like a Raven Patreon-level text group, is LJ Fort is just is a future random Raven for sure at some point. He's not going to be well-remembered. But I thought he had a hell of a game. He's a solid tackler. He made some plays in the backfield. He should have had an interception that John Harbaugh just for whatever reason didn't challenge, which we'll get into later. Um, And Giad Ward, another guy. Two sort of underrated guys on this defense that I think stepped up. Uh, Giad Ward had the only sack of the game, which when we get to the bad, we'll talk about that. Um, And had a couple QB hits. And this comes from uh, Aaron Kassanitz of PennLive.com. Quote, Ward sat out several games this season as a healthy scratch, you know, as somebody that they didn't think was good enough to make the active roster for a game. Also had coronavirus uh, late last month. On Tuesday, he saw his first game action since October 18th and made the most of it playing 38 snaps, sacking Dalton, and then registering four of the five quarterback hits on Andy Dalton as well. So a very key piece on that defensive line that, you know, with some other guys coming back from injury that might need to step up. So two kind of underrated guys on a pretty star-laden defense that I thought really performed well on Tuesday. The only uh, other good thing, and we kind of mentioned it already, uh, but I just want to dwell on it. And I think part of it also kind of is a good transition point into some of the bad is uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, obviously, we didn't see Lamar last week, um, but... And we mentioned his rushing totals, but I really thought this was his best game in a while. I know, obviously, the uh, the passing numbers don't jump off the screen. And um, the bad, there are definitely are accuracy issues with him at times. Um, and But uh, before we dive too much into those, I do want to just say, I thought this was like one of his best games running the ball in quite a while. I know, obviously, the touchdown gets the highlights, but... He had some just really nice moves on, you know, some third downs and obviously the the um, sort of running around he did to throw on the run to his left on the Hollywood touchdown was great. I just thought he, he seemed really active, uh, especially for coming off, you know, the COVID list hasn't really practiced or played. He, he just seemed a lot more himself, I guess, in terms of kind of making plays on the ground. He like had several third down conversions on third and long where he just kind of scurries and you're like, wow, that's why he makes, you know, he's so fun to watch and you like him out there. And the touchdown passes were great. He had two of them. I thought, uh, as you said, the Boykin one almost could have gone bad, but the Hollywood pass was excellent. But it, it to have only five incompletions, it did seem like he left a lot on the table. Uh, there was that play in particular, um, and I'll give him a little pass with Lamar uh, because he hadn't been practicing because he'd been off. But when he did that crazy scramble uh, on a third down, I believe they're already up 14 at this point. But So it wasn't too consequential play, but he does this crazy scramble to just get space to uncork a throw. 
And then you're like, wow, how'd he do that? And then he throws it right into the ground at Miles Boykin's feet when it, who's wide open in the end zone. And you think, wow, how'd he do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then there was the, the third down also trying to throw to Boykin where he just airmailed it like <laughs> like five yards past him. Uh, as I said, only had five incompletions, but it just seems like with Lamar, his completions, I don't know if it's because the Ravens don't throw it that much, but when he does throw incomplete, it's like... It's like glaring incompletions, like wildly off, and especially on that Boykin one. That like that was should have been a touchdown, and he made such a great play to do it. But then I don't know if it's just setting his feet again. I'll give him a bit of a pass having not practiced, but if he just gets that next thing, he's back to MVP goat status, <laughs> and I think the conversation around him will kind of the criticism I think will disappear if he's able to just kind of clean up some accuracy things. Yeah, the we we only saw a few of these throws in this game. There were, as you said, Jace, maybe two, maybe three of these bad throws, but that's only really because of how seldom he threw the ball at all in this game. Which it harkens back to last season. They could run the ball thirty-five times. His throws were limited. He would make plays with his feet. He would complete passes when the play broke down, and he didn't have to do a ton from the pocket, so to speak. And then that has not been the case this year. As the sort of the you take the stones away from the bottom, you know the fa- the foundation of the house. You can't run the ball thirty five times anymore. You're not as successful with it, and all of a sudden Lamar has to do more. He has to throw more, and that's when those two three bad throws become five six seven bad throws, and that you know one maybe interception turns into two interceptions and a fumble, and, and they've been chasing games. <laughs> I am concerned with it, even in the even with just two or three throws, even without the practice, only because it's been happening for, you know, the whole season, really, that these, these two were not an anomaly. And it's frustrating. I mean, you know, you, you can't have it all in life, but if he can sort out his footwork, his his arm angle, if he can just get those things down pat every single time, he's going to become an unguardable football player that is the one issue he has that that still gets him in trouble and it's frustrating I mean, they saw it Troy Aikman talked about it immediately when he dipped the he you know drops the arm and he starts throwing sidearm in situations where he doesn't necessarily have to and that's when you get balls that miss by f- five or ten yards with open receivers so it's it's frustrating it was good that it didn't hurt us that much but in a game that the Ravens won you know, thirty-four seventeen. The game could have been forty-five to ten if uh, if all of those throws are, are made consistently. And it's it's something that you want to think isn't going to bite you in the postseason. But uh, until it's until it's fixed or or mostly fixed, I it's still a concern for me. Well, but but here's the thing: it is a concern because it will hurt you in the postseason because you're not facing the Cowboys' run defense in the postseason. <laughs> you're not running for nearly three hundred yards in the postseason, and that stuff has to get cleaned up. I'm not asking for every single one to be cleaned up, but Jason, you you nailed it. It's like, it's like every incomplete pass is almost, it's like horrific. And a lot of them this year have led to really, really bad interceptions. He has seven picks in 11 games that he's played so far this year. He had six all of last season in his MVP campaign. That stuff Errant throws like that are going to turn into turnovers against good teams, and that's what's the concerning part. Look, I mean, Antonio's spot on. If if he cleaned it up, you know, if he cleaned it up perfectly, 
we're talking about another Patrick Mahomes. Like, we're legitimately talking about that guy, maybe without some of the arm talent, because of his ability to escape and his ability to hit guys on these kind of backyard-type plays. We're not asking for that. But some of these balls, it's very, very frustrating. And it's one of those things that, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, I know we're kind of perched up, you know, and seem very, very particular after smoking the Cowboys in a primetime game. But you look at these because we've seen in bigger games they become problems. So it's just something to watch. You want to give him the benefit of the doubt, one, because he's our Lord and Savior, two, because he was just coming off the COVID list and practiced that much. I understand all of that. But, you know, and, and you know he knows this, too. I mean, he's an ultimate competitor type of guy, but it, it has to get cleaned up. Chase, defensively, what, uh, what, what needs to get cleaned up as we turn this on the other side from a pretty good performance overall uh, on, the, on the defensive side of the ball, but some things that there need to be addressed as well, even in a double-digit win. Yeah, um, well, Tim mentioned Jihad Ward, and it was great that he had four QB hits. Uh, but he also mentioned there were only five QB hits <laughs> and that's, that's a problem for me. Uh, you know, for a, a team that we brings in Yannick Ngakwe, obviously Matt Judon wasn't in this game. Um, but certainly in this game too, the health of Calais Campbell is a concern. And we'll talk about that, uh, going forward into the Browns game. Cause he'll be very important for that contest, I believe. But yeah, the, I wasn't enamored with the Ravens defensive performance uh yesterday it was a lot of bend don't break and I think the concern you have to have is there might be more breaking if the team wasn't uh quarterbacked by Andy Dalton and you know coached by Mike McCarthy uh the Cowboys missed three field goals in this game um so it I it's I'm still concerned with this group and obviously they were very in flux due to COVID and stuff, but the pass rush issues have been issues all season. The trade of Yannick Agakwe has not seemed to change that really to this point. Um, and just on the secondary sometimes, like as talented as they are back there, they give stuff up occasionally. And you know, it's a, it's most glaring when you have face a fourth and goal uh, and uh, Amari Cooper catches a pass wide open in the middle of the end zone <laughs> when you have two all-pro cornerbacks. That's a concern to me. Um, but I, as kind of as we mentioned with Lamar, the, the issues that the Ravens had obviously did not come back to bite them because they were facing the Cowboys. Uh, and they still did enough to win on the whole. Uh, Patrick Queen had a great interception, but um, still very... Pass rush concerns and occasional secondary concerns, I'll say, still seem to rear their head on a weekly basis. And it's kind of confusing given the talent on this, uh, certainly in the back end, especially. Well, and you talk about the talent in the back end, but the problem is when you get injuries, Jimmy Smith out, Tavon Young out for the whole year. And how many guys have we seen being rotated in as that third corner when there's no Jimmy Smith or there's no, you know, Marlon Humphrey with COVID or, you know, Marcus Peters has to take a rest or whatever it is behind those three guys. There's nothing, you know, and look, the Cowboys, the strong point of the Cowboys is their wide receiver. CeeDee lamb is incredible. Amari Cooper is very, very good. Um, Michael Gallup, even being kind of the third option just as a receiver is insane. Um, but, but that, that, 
drop off is significant and we've seen the Ravens get picked on year in or game in and game out I should say this year uh whoever that guy is and this time it was Devontae Harris so I thought it was okay and made a couple play he made a couple plays against Pittsburgh but then in this game you know it was a little down for me too on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's kind of disheartening after what they did against Pittsburgh and that nobody believes in this game and didn't keep that level of intensity up um, based on the opponent, which is annoying. It's like, guys, just you have to win out basically at this point. And we'll talk about kind of how nobody helped us before this game in terms of the playoff picture. <laughs> yeah. So that intensity needs to be there over and over and over again. And it just seems like it's not there all the time. Um, you know, in, in terms of bad, Brandon Williams was great coming back, and you saw how important he was. But but Calais Campbell, as you mentioned, Jace, needs to get healthy because that was – I mean, he was limping around on the field. And then the pass rush in general. You know, we brought this point up in our, in our text group when we were watching the game on Tuesday, but Wink loves blitzing. We love Wink. We love blitzing. I don't love blitzing when it doesn't get to the quarterback. And I don't love blitzing all the time when it's the only thing you do, and so now offenses have schemed around it. And they get the ball out quick. I've watched these teams now. And, I mean, if I had to hear Chris Collinsworth again talk about how quickly Ben Roethlisberger releases the ball, I was going to take my own life, basically. I was so annoyed <laughs> listening to him. And we, and we talked about that. But the fact that you watch Andy Dalton, too, it was take, get the ball in his hands, get the ball out of his hands. In, in his hands, out of his hands. Three-step drops shotgun quick first read all the time and they had it all day because you're playing zero coverage and you have these great corners but all of a sudden that one guy gets beat your five six seven pass rushers can't get to the quarterback in time and they're matriculating the ball down the field and that is a massive concern for me because they can't get pressure with four I don't know what it is with Ngakwe I mean yeah I know he was great and then you want to just blame the scheme on him I'm not going to just blame the scheme you know, Antonio made a great point uh, when we were watching the game of he's only a speed rusher. It just seems like he just runs past the quarterback every single time. He, he, has he plays no like I move. rush the quarterback in Madden. That's like the move yes. that he has. <laughs> exactly. And that's not good because I'm not particularly good at Madden. So that's, yeah. Right. I was going to say, because we play on rookie mode and that's when the quarterback has no situational awareness, Lana. And then you're just, you're able to sack the guy with the speed rush move. You don't get that with Ngakwe, I feel like. And the end. I worry about better offensive minds just looking at Wink and saying, yes, this is a talented defense, sure. But if they're going to send five, we're going to find that weak corner, whoever it is, because they have one, and we're going to throw it at him on, you know, two seconds ball out, two seconds ball out, two seconds ball out. And that's going to become another major issue for this team if they can't start getting pressure. I mean, that and not to ramp, but that offensive line, the Cowboys have had a great offensive line for years now. And Travis Frederick retired. I know they've had some injury issues, obviously. Zach Martin, Tyron Smith as well. I understand that. They did the whole starting starting lineup card thing uh, for the offensive line for the Cowboys. And I hadn't heard any of those dudes. I mean, you could have put Joe Schmo out there and I would have recognized him more than any anybody else on that offensive line. And yet, it was one sack and five quarterback hits. It's It's not good enough. Yeah, I mean, the NFL is a sport, a, a job, if you're the coach, of adjustments. Adjusting back and forth. You do one thing, the other team adjusts. You have to come up with something else. 
the wink blitzing thing is the adjustment that we can't get pressure with four. The opponent adjustment has been getting the ball out quickly. When we blitz and we only have maybe, you know, zero coverage, just man across the board, what we've had to do or have chosen to do when we blitz is play extremely soft coverage so that in theory you don't get beat deep uh, on a blitz. You don't get exposed deep. But what that is leading to is seven-yard completions, eight-yard completions on second and six and third and five where the wide receivers aren't even touched. And that has happened in multiple games in the past month and a half where receivers like run to the sticks and they catch the ball at the sideline and go out of bounds and Peters is like shaking his head even though he's five <laughs> yards behind that. So in theory, the adjustment could be play tighter coverage, play up on the line of scrimmage, but then do you then start giving up the 40, 50 yard bombs as, you know, as a exchange for that? So I, th- I think at this point the preference is uh, die, what, die by a thousand cuts, like make them have to do this over and over and over again all the way down the field without making mistakes or having offensive penalties, and, and they've gotten away with it in most games, but against those better teams, those penalties disappear, and those first downs just keep coming, and the turnovers don't happen, so it's it's frustrating, and, and Wink is going to have to keep tinkering with the, with this defense as we get into the into the postseason i'll say the run to the postseason here because it's not guaranteed yet the uh the one play in particular on defense i feel like we we talked about it in the infamous group chat that we just have to highlight was uh our good friend anthony averett was back in the lineup and uh he oh, he uh just pointed at i forget what the receiver was it was either Layab or gallup or it might have even been cooper pointed the receiver basically handing him off but there was no one, no one was picking that up. It was man coverage. So he just pointed, pointed at the man that was his man, who was then just wide open in the middle of the field. That was, that was definitely a high point uh, in Tuesday night's game. It was, um, and to, you know, you guys' points, uh, um, these are the kinds of things that happen when you have an Anthony Averett in the lineup instead of a Tavon Young or a Jimmy Smith. Uh, you have these miscommunications, you have these issues, um, because he's just not as good, and that sucks, but that's the reality of it. He's not as good as Jimmy Smith. There's a reason they brought back Jimmy Smith, and Jimmy Smith is important. Um, so, yeah, so that's just the kind of the highlight of a, a, a very frustrating... I won't even say too... Like, we should couch all this and say they, they won this game very handily. Uh, <laughs> and it was it was a fun game uh, for the most part to watch. But, uh, you know, it's just these things that... They are basically a they-have-to-win-out mode, and it's important to be playing your best if you want to even make the playoffs this year. So I guess that's just the the, the lingering concerns we definitely have with the defense, I'd say. And then some some of the ugly, some of the intangibles of this game. Justin Tucker missed a short field goal. I don't, I, I don't Should we just, like, move past that? Because that bummed me out, and I yeah, it makes me sad. hope it doesn't happen <laughs> again. Uh, Harbaugh, as Tim mentioned earlier, not challenging what I think thought was a pretty clear fort interception in the end zone um and then if you guys want to get into it a little bit the the des bryant scratch before this game started the covid news for him and then what followed on social media so before that because first of all the social media interaction i would personally put in good but we had to lead up to what was happening i mean it is developed even today i just looked at it before we started recording today obviously being uh, Wednesday as we record this apologies but 
I the glass half full in me, but also the I am so annoyed aspect of the Justin Tucker miss. The commentators aren't going to say that crap anymore. Joe Buck was basically hoping that he missed. He's like, no, commentators curse. You know what? He shrugged it off more than any commentator I've ever heard. Yes, I know. I'm aware commentators curses aren't real. But the fact that he was like, yeah, no, he'll make it. I guarantee it. And did this whole like cocky little announcement thing that was just horrific, by the way. It just, I liked, again, I like Chris Collinsworth. I like Joe Buck. I thought they were both horrific in the last two games for the Baltimore Ravens. And that was so infuriating. And then the, you just knew he was going to miss it. Like the other ones with Tucker, you're like, ah, yeah, whatever. Like they have to mention the stat. I get it, yada, yada. Joe Buck was like forcing him to miss that ball. He was like with his words, pushing that ball to the outside of the upright or over top of the upright or whatever you want to say. So that, that was incredibly annoying. The Des Bryant stuff. I'll let you guys explain the situation because I only want to talk about Twitter. First of all, we find out that he tests positive for COVID because he himself tweets it. He thinks that he's okay, even though he had an inconclusive test and he went to warm up anyway. That's weird. Uh, And let's just read some of the highlights right as the game started. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call it quit for the rest of the season. I can't deal with this. Timer recording. Still no announcement what's going on with Dez. Uh, Dez, again, since I tested positive for COVID before the game, do the game stop or does it go on? Uh, Dez was hugging a lot of people in warm-ups, so that's a weird thing we can talk about. My personal favorite, I'm about to drink some wine and cope. Uh, And as most people on Twitter said, Dez, uniting with the uh, stay-at-home moms of America and drinking some wine and coping, basically. Then he's got, since I'm out, do you guys want to hear about my businesses I've been working on? All right, well, that's good. Then he says, I got COVID, everyone. Just to update people who haven't <laughs> been following this one. already, that he's got COVID again. Um, then just to clarify for everybody giving talking, you know, hey, Des, maybe slow down on the wine. I'm not drunk yet, guys. I've only had one glass of wine. I'm just getting my business stuff together to share with y'all. And then somebody says, are you coming back? He said, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm just being smart. So saying that you're quitting apparently is the smart move. Then he goes, if you guys are with me tonight, post your glass of wine. And there might be, I don't know, 12 to 15 to maybe even 20 retweets of him retweeting people drinking wine. And then afterwards, he's doing the whole great team win, quote, tweeting the press conference with the guys talking about we did this for Dez, yada, yada, yada. But the saga of that going on, when this game got into a little bit of a lull and sometimes you know, because it wasn't an incredibly dramatic game throughout, was just the best. And um, I'm here for weird social media antics as games are going on. So, look, I want Dez to be back out on the field. I hope he's healthy, all that stuff. But it was just such a hilarious aside to everything that was going on during the game. It was so strange. It was like... It's weird. To have had a team go through, like, a mass COVID outbreak, this was definitely, like the weirdest moment of the season i'd say like i guess just to run through how this happened or at least per like what nfl people have said was i I guess so his first test comes back inconclusive they run it again and then it was also sort of inconclusive (laughs) at which point i believe he's supposed to they're supposed to assume that as a positive test right uh, maybe even the first inconclusive. So I don't know who allowed him into the stadium or 
like how the exactly the protocols work. But at that point, they pulled him off when his second test came back inconclusive. And apparently they run these tests in Maryland, the lab they do them at. So they get them faster than most NFL teams, apparently, their results. Um, but so then they do the, the, the POC test at the uh, stadium, uh, point, of, it was a point of contact, point of care test. Um, and that's when it comes positive. So that's when he tweets that the Ravens never said he had COVID. They just said he was out with an illness. Um, but, uh, yeah, apparently the NFL basically determined that despite him dapping people up in photos of him without a mask, like, you know, shaking hands with like some of his former Cowboys teammates on the field. Uh, he was catching passes from Trace McSorley in warmups, but, um, we should say these were the real, real before the game warm-ups, like kind of multiple hours before, not the in the uniform kind of thing. Um, but yeah, he they he tests positive. They pull him from the game, uh, and but they determine that seemingly per the NFL's protocols, which certainly haven't been foolproof to this point in the season. They said there were no high risk contacts. That's, I guess, my biggest concern going forward is. The Ravens seemingly just got over a <laughs> two-week COVID fiasco, and now they have this guy that was clearly, like, in and around the locker room, and everyone's just like, yeah, that's fine, I'm sure. So we'll see, I guess, how the next few days play out. Hopefully the NFL protocols were correct and followed. I had read the Ravens have been particularly strict with their COVID protocols of late, which makes sense given <laughs> the... Steelers game fiasco. Um, so you hope everything's all right. As for Dez, I understand his frustration. He actually deleted a tweet. It looks like about how important this game was to him because obviously he played with for the Cowboys for so long and after they drafted him. Um, so you're bummed he couldn't get in the game. It would have been fun. But, you know, <laughs> safety-wise, you hope everything's fine with the Ravens and for Dez. And uh, assuming it is, this will be a very f- strange anecdote funny <laughs> aside to the season it's like remember when des was tweeting about drinking wine uh during a game <laughs> that he didn't know kicked off or not uh very very strange uh not too much more to add on that other than very weird <laughs> it will be uh rich if the cowboys have a COVID outbreak in the next five or six days and we will wait and see on that i mean we're making light of it here obviously it's it would be a, a negative, a sad situation, but just there. I I can imagine a phone call at seven forty-five going up to the higher ups of the NFL, and the decision being made. Oh, we're playing this game. Yes, we are continuing to play this game, even though all of these things happened because we're queued up with cameras and advertising, uh, advertising ready to keep the season going and make more money we will see if they are able to keep the season going as this plays out one final des thing i we should mention because we were texting about this as well uh it was surreal that he tests like i got covid everyone uh and like tweets like i think i'm quitting this season and then like half a second later fox is like here's a montage story about (laughs) des's comeback versus the cowboys and you're like 
how did no one dump this? Well, I, you know, Tim, you work in live stuff. How, how was the, do you have any insight into why that interview was there? I was uh, so confused by it. I was like, what's happening? <laughs> Who was responsible for this? <laughs> yeah, I have some insight. Producers not doing their job. That's the insight I have because that was ridiculous. My other favorite part was they're talking about it glazer i think it's jay glazer was there and he was explaining to the crew and this is like right before kickoff explaining to menifee tony gonzalez uh, howie long what have you why the t- why the nfl had decided to go on with this game and and tom pelissero had a big report of how nobody else tested positive except des yada 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 and the whole thing sounded like bs uh to put it lightly it was kind of like okay sure and he stops. There's a significant pause, four or five seconds, and then Menifee goes, "Well, enjoy kickoff, everyone." And like they just they had they didn't have any response to like because they couldn't say, "Well, this is ridiculous," because it's the NFL and you know the game was going on anyway, and they didn't want to criticize it. But that little surreal moment of, uh. I guess football time was so, so funny to me. But yeah, the whole playing the package after all this news breaks made no sense. I I get sometimes it's quick to turn around that stuff. And I don't work in TV, so I'm sure it's a little different as well. But you would think of like, hey, let's dump this and let's just have our guys vamp on this for five minutes or whatever. By the way, (laughs) also, the package wasn't that great. Tony Gonzalez was like, and look at how much he's matured. And it was like three lines from Dez. And then they went back to Gonzalez. was like, and you could tell he's really matured. And it's, it, it, it wasn't even worth playing in the first place, much less keeping in the, uh, in the broadcast, excuse me, after the news has come out that he's not playing. So, I, I mean, yeah, to answer your question, uh, you know, longly, I guess, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when the NBA pulled the – Utah Jazz off the court uh, because a player tested positive right before the game started, but we're not doing that anymore, so good luck to the Ravens, good luck to the Cowboys with not having positive tests yeah, come out. Little, something to the monitor next... the days ahead for uh, both teams, I'd say. Uh, but the week officially over um, with that Ravens game. 34-17 winners. We are going to get away from this. If you guys have one final thought, 10-second final thought on this game, Let's hear it before we move on to the NFL. I'll never not love Pat Ricard snatching bodies. And it's it's about time to get the jersey, I think. I, I never got Devontae Leach. I should have. He's one of my all-time favorite Ravens. I think it's time to buy the Project Pat jersey. Do we know if it was uh, Patty Ricard who was laughing when that late Gus Edwards run down the sideline when he ran for like 30 yards and there was just an audible cackling by some I just want to believe I just want to believe that it was him and Orlando Brown just laughing together yeah uh, I know we might have come across and we complained a lot it was definitely a weird start to uh you know Tuesday night's game with the does stuff but it was really fun to beat the Cowboys to run all over them uh obviously historic running performance so good to get back in the win column it's always fun to watch your team kind of physically impose their will on another team and uh easy money yeah it was an all-time great Ravens quote so I, I was it was a great game I'm happy they won my final thought uh at the end of the first half with the Ravens only trailing by a touchdown the Dallas Cowboys decided to try a Hail Mary from approximately midfield and the Ravens chose to rush 
zero, and then it turned into rushing one, and Andy Dalton had exactly as much time as he needed to set up the perfect Hail Mary throw. That almost got caught by CeeDee Lamb in the end zone. He got both hands on it. He was a foot above everybody else. I hate that call when other teams do it. The Ravens need to never do that ever again. Receivers are better than defensive players at catching a football. Do not give them all the time in the world to go down into the end zone, post up, and out-jump shorter defensive backs to a ball. Just rush four, and that play almost never makes it to the end zone, and that's my final thought. But overall, as you guys said, it's a win. It's a comfortable win. It's a cover, and the Ravens are now back in the thick of the playoff race in the AFC. And with that, we will turn to the NFL. We tend to talk about the AFC North teams first. I'm going to just ignore uh, the Cincinnati Bengals this week because they're somewhat irrelevant for the rest of the season. They lost by double digits. They had three players throw a pass for Cincinnati, and none of them threw it very well. The other teams in the AFC North, however had the Browns with a enormous victory and the Steelers with one of the more predictable losses that the three of us saw coming. So I will turn to you guys now with sort of, uh, I don't know, a pardon the interruption type question where it's like, uh, which one of these results were you more surprised by, the Browns beating the Titans or the Steelers losing to the Washington football team? Definitely has to be, for me, the Browns uh, beating the Titans. I had 41-35 uh, final score, but it really wasn't that close. You know, the Browns get out to just an enormous lead at halftime. Game's effectively over at halftime. They have 38 points in the first half. Yeah, they're up 38-7 to at halftime. So the only weird thing with that game is for a team that runs the ball as well as the Browns do, that why that game got close at the end. But, uh, you know, it's annoying. The Browns are 9-3, their first winning season since 2007. Uh, Baker threw four touchdowns in the first half, which he was apparently um, the first Browns QB to do that since Otto Graham, who retired in 1955, I looked it up <laughs> today. So, uh, yeah, um, I definitely think, especially as good as the Titans have played how, uh, late, of late, you know, they beat the Colts in that game, they beat us. The Titans had really looked like they were playing well, so... I mean, it's definitely got to be the Browns' most impressive win of the season, I'd say. And I think on the flip side with the Steelers, we, we talked about how they're not as good as their 11-0 record, right? Like, it looked like all the issues they've had the last several weeks once again came to the surface in this game. And I don't know, ever since they moved to Alex Smith, Washington's been, like, competent. They've been good. I believe they've won three of his four starts or three of five They've looked solid uh, the last several weeks. Obviously, they hammered the Cowboys on, uh, pulled away from them on Thanksgiving, and then get this win. Their defense is great, the uh, Washingtons. Um, but yeah, the Steelers, they were they were due. They were due for a loss. Um, so I'm not as surprised as I am by the Browns. I am just so glad it's over. <laughs> the dream is dead. I've never enjoyed. You know, Larry Zonka and Mercury Morris popping the champagne after that last undefeated team loses until now. I mean, to lose in prime time to the football team, who, you're right, Jace, have been, have been competent since Alex Smith took over, but are usually the butt of every single joke. And to lose to them, oh, was satisfying. And you know the thing is? I don't think the Steelers are good enough to be like, oh, this is our bounce back 
game. Now we're now we're on a war path. Yada yada yada. Because they're not that good. They they rushed for 21 yards on 14 carries. This team is not going to be able to run the ball in January and control the clock when they desperately need to. All it takes is an off game from their receivers or Big Ben. Big Ben threw it 53 times and in a game that they were leading a lot of the time or a game that was at least close. Jace, that, you got something? Well, that's the thing for me, like just with their, they, especially when Connor's out, they cannot run the ball. And like you said, like there's no excuse to, for him to throw that many times. They led literally, I think, until the last two minutes, or at least it was tied. Like they were up almost the entire game. They go up 14 to nothing. And their inability to just run the ball, it's going to be, you know, I not to always bring up the Chiefs, but they're probably going to, the Kansas City Chiefs are probably going to be the team you have to beat in the playoffs, right? And right. as we've seen, the key to them when the Patriots beat them in the AFC title game, they held the ball for over 40 minutes in that overtime game. The key to beating the chiefs is to have the ball. And if the Steelers can't run, they're not going to do it. It's as simple as that. And uh, it really costs them in this game. Like there's no excuse to throw 53 times when you have a 14 to nothing lead. It's, it's wild. Yeah. And it's, it's funny too. The, the NFC East. Yes. A bad, you know, a non playoff team is going to get into the playoffs, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as it was, um, you know, outside of the Philadelphia Eagles, I guess, who are just a dumpster fire, but for Washington, man, and and this is what happens when you draft a lot up, you know, up towards the top of the draft. You mentioned the defense, but specifically that defensive line. You know me; I like to focus on the line play on either side of the ball. And oh my word, that that Montez Sweat and then Chase Young on and that that goal line stand that they had, which was I think like six or seven plays because they had a penalty too, and then it ends on that fourth and one where again Steelers can't run the ball. And Chase Young comes out of nowhere to just hold the guy back. It it was a really, really impressive win. For the Browns, Jace, you kind of nailed it. I can feel the bile rising in my throat as I say <laughs> this, but the Browns are a good football team who have figured, figured out how to win. Um, you know, Baker, like you said, four touchdowns, but it's all about that running attack, man. Another 118 yards from them, control the clock, win that game. Like you said, it was nearly it wasn't nearly as close as 41-35, and for Tennessee, man, their defense is bad. Like, it, that, and, you know, I'm turning it back to the Ravens. It's a Ravens podcast. That thumping that the Browns gave to them, yes, I know the Browns are a good team. That's the last time I'll say it on this podcast. Maybe until we get to the preview, I guess. <laughs> that infuriates me that we lost to that that Tennessee team the way we did because of what Cleveland did to them. And I know transitive property doesn't always work for NFL games, but it's just it's just infuriating to watch that. Derrick Henry fumbles. He has 15 carries for 60 yards, and you're just like, why couldn't we do that? Like, come on, guys. <laughs> um, and then just Miles Garrett. You talk about Chase Young. Miles Garrett is – he might be the best defensive player in the league, not named Aaron Donald. Like, it's, it's getting close to that point. The guy is, is a freak uh, in the best way possible. And, uh, yeah, not going to be fun on Monday. The one note I want to bring up about the Pittsburgh Washington game is that uh, the Steelers were without their starting kicker, Chris Boswell, but they had signed another kicker. They had a kicker on the roster and he had made multiple extra points. He had made his only field goal attempt of 37 yards. And at a certain point in that game, when it was 17 all with four minutes left, five minutes left, the Steelers faced a fourth and one from Washington's 28 
So a 45-yard field goal to take the lead and probably win the game, and they instead choose to go for it on fourth down and throw it deep. I don't understand any of the thought process there. I'm, I remain confused. Unless their backup kicker, or the kicker that they signed, Matthew Wright, unless they saw him in practice unable to kick 40-yard field goals, I have no idea why they didn't just go for a lead there. Or maybe, you know, try to run the ball on fourth and one, which is like a microcosm of the issues they had in the entire game. As for the Browns, Tim, I agree with you 100% on the Baker Mayfield stuff. He has a lot of yards. He has a lot of touchdowns. Those stats look really nice. He had wide open receivers because Tennessee was jumping all over the play action because they had to, really. Um, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, terrifying, were gashing them and they would over-pursue so hard on the play action that that's going to make things a lot easier for any quarterback, and specifically for one who we have seen struggle when the running game is not going for him. Um, we, I, I'm going to hold that thought. That's the segue I want to have for the preview section, but um, let's do a little more NFL talk first, because there was another game in the NFL this past weekend, which is... Not the most important, I would say, as as the weeks go and as the playoff race surges on, but it was the, probably the funniest game, and it was the uh, back-and-forth battle between the Las Vegas Raiders and the winless New York Jets, who remain winless after one of the most suspicious-looking <laughs> last-second Hail Mary plays by the Las Vegas Raiders where they, the Jets did the opposite of what I complained with with the Ravens on a Hail Mary. <laughs> you know, the Ravens rush zero. The Jets decide to rush like six and a QB spy. Just somewhere in the middle, guys. Just do it somewhere in the middle. Rush four so that you're able to have, you know, safeties uh, on a Hail Mary, which the Jets decided to ignore, leaving the Raiders' fastest wide receiver and one of the fastest in the NFL in single coverage, man-to-man, Simple double move, one of the easiest last-second touchdowns, Hail Mary touchdowns I have ever seen. So I'll, I'll PTI it again to you guys. Did the Jets throw the game on that one last play? And why wouldn't they have tried to throw the game for the first 59 minutes and 30 seconds? And that's my, my uh, PTI teaser question to you two. Well, quickly, I mean, that's you nailed it with the second part of that. They're going to try and blow the game at the very beginning if they want. And... If there's one man who loves blitzing more than Wink Martindale, it's Greg Williams, who has been <laughs> since fired. Uh, and he does the, he's done this all the time. There's plenty of examples of him doing this, just sending the house, thinking he can get to the quarterback. Um, and, you know, maybe not doubling up the, one of the fastest receivers in the National Football League in Henry Ruggs. Uh, yeah, Greg Williams stinks at his job. He shouldn't get another one. But he probably will because the NFL is an old boys club. It certainly looked like he was Greg Williams was trying to throw the game with that call, <laughs> but uh, uh, I agree with you. I I think it was just a bad call uh, by Greg Williams. I I have to say I can't off the top of my head remember a call that was so bad that it directly got a coach fired <laughs> like less than twenty four hours later. Um, so uh, it. it 
it's one of the most astounding endings of a game I've ever seen. <laughs> like, just how, like you said, how easy it was. And, like, either one play before or two plays before, Nelson Aguilar, like, got behind everyone. And Carr kind of just missed him. But they had, like, safety help. It was like, they were playing, like, kind of a zone, it looked like. And he kind of just ran up the middle of the field and, like, into, like, you know, ran past people. And so Greg Williams' response to that wasn't like, oh, maybe we should protect the end zone even more. It was bring the house. It was like... Something like a record number. It was like an unprecedented amount of pressure in the face of, <laughs> like, in that situation with, like, the time remaining and the need. And the fact that they needed to score a touchdown, too. It wasn't just like, oh, we have to. Because if you'll recall, the Baltimore Ravens a few years ago set the house on a fourth, uh, fourth down play against Baker Mayfield and intercepted a pass. But that was when the Browns only needed a field goal to win the game. Uh, this was the Raiders literally had to score a touchdown to win. <laughs> and they did the one thing, uh, the one call that would make them susceptible, especially susceptible to a touchdown. Uh, and had the, I don't know, I wasn't able to find the, the player name, but also to have your corner bite well, on a double move where the only thing you need to do in that situation is prevent a throw to the end zone is also a marvel. And I suppose you, that's how teams go 0-12. Here's a funny thing, Antonio. You know who that corner was? The other Lamar Jackson. (laughs) It was New York Jets cornerback Lamar Jackson. Uh, And he owned up to it after the game. He, you know, he obviously didn't play that great. But if you, I think his teammates were like, yeah, he definitely needs, like, some help to not give up a CD in that scenario. It was just an astounding play. Uh, And, yeah, directly got Greg Williams fired. It was impressive. And now the Jets are 0-12. This will be... Uh, assuming they close out the 0-16, this really will be, I think, like, the 0-16 Lions have Dan Orlovsky running out of the back of the end zone, right? Like, this play we'll just see forever now and uh, when we run through the list of winless teams. So, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to have this play in my life now for the rest of time. <laughs> the Jets adding another loss. The Raiders adding another victory, however, and with... The Raiders are every other team in the AFC playoff hunt, adding a victory uh, this past week. Miami now eight and four, Cleveland nine and three, the Ravens seven and five, the Colts eight and four, and the Raiders seven and five. A lot of uh, a lot of noise. A lot of teams pushing for those three wild card spots, uh, and it it may become a situation where the Ravens do have to win out to at least secure a spot. Uh, in the playoffs well and the way all those wins happened too were especially annoying like you mentioned uh, Miami beat the Bengals um but then you had that Raiders game and then I don't know if you all saw the way the Colts game ended but that was infuriating uh for a Ravens fan perspective uh Deshaun Watson in the center some a bad snap exchange on a shotgun ball on the ground they fumbled the ball inside the Colts five yard line down six points it was very very upsetting uh for a Ravens fan, would have loved the Colts to drop that game. Obviously, the Ravens have beaten the Colts, so that would have helped them a lot. So, it was a rough, re- uh, rough weekend of scoreboard watching uh, for Ravens fans uh, this past weekend. And don't forget, quickly, uh, I know that they're probably still not in it, but they're annoyingly staying alive. Ah, 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 ah. The New England Patriots, who were a pick against the Los Angeles Chargers, went to... LA and beat the Chargers 45 to nothing even though Cam Newton still can't throw a ball more than eight yards the uh the worst loss in Chargers franchise history which I do not think bodes well for Anthony Lynn 
I didn't want to mention them, Tim, in that uh, teams in the hunt because of my my still statement there. last week uh, that they would not there. make the playoffs. But six and six, they are in the hunt. Uh, they they are a team that essentially will have to win out um, with that sixth loss, and that is something that. Belichick has done before, so we will see, but I am maintaining that there's too many teams in front of the Patriots for now. Um, Elsewhere, guys, any final thoughts on the NFL? The only thing I want to sort of touch on quickly is how bizarre the NFC West has been throughout this season. Almost upside down from what was predicted by a lot of people to start the year. 49ers, obviously, you know, coming off the Super Bowl loss were NFC West favorites. They are now in the bottom of the West, the Rams who had a disappointing year last year, they're at the top at eight and four. The Seahawks lost at home to the giants. The Cardinals were like a darling team. They're now six and six. The West, I can't decide if there are four good teams there or like one and a half good teams. Uh, thoughts on the AFC, excuse me, the NFC West and, uh, the NFC playoff picture. I think those teams are just wildly inconsistent. Um, you know, the 49ers, you can excuse. They've been hit by so many injuries, you know, even more than the Ravens have this year, which we've covered at length. Um, the Cardinals have a bad coach. Cliff Kingsbury is not a good football coach, and he has put them in some bad positions this year. Kyler Murray's been hurt. They've lost three straight, and they still have the Niners and the Rams on their schedule. Um, the Rams, for me, are the most talented, I think, um, but you just never know. Like, they, they, they can kind of show up. Their defense is great, but you never know with their offense, even with McVay calling the plays. And then the Seahawks, who knows? I, I mean, I have no idea what's up with the Seahawks, and they have a bad defense. So I think that is just a microcosm of the NFC. Like, the NFC is not that good this year, and the NFC West is kind of – we had to big a couple of these teams up because they had good records against, you know, maybe inferior opponents or whatever it was. And now we're getting to – the money-making time of the year, and these some a lot of these teams are showing their true colors. Um, Jace, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the West. Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's uh, a collection of amongst the strangest teams in the league, so it's always fun. It's entertaining, but yeah, it's hard to predict week to week. Only I thing think... I want to mention real quickly, sorry, Antonio, is the only other thing from the NFL, Jalen Hurts is now starting over Carson <laughs> Wentz officially. Jalen Hurts came in. Uh, in their game against the Packers, looked okay, albeit in garbage time. He is now the starter. And Carson Wentz, who signed a lucrative, I believe it was an $129 million deal, something like that, around those numbers, which, by the way, that extension has not kicked in yet. That extension still hasn't kicked in uh, on his deal, is now the backup for the Philadelphia Eagles. As I said before, just a complete and total dumpster fire there in Philadelphia. Yeah, my thoughts on that decision will be uh, evident in, in the gambling section of the of the podcast this week. But uh, I was just going to add that the Saints ten and two still holding on to that uh, <laughs> by week, the one team getting the bye, and the Packers at nine and three, the two teams really the cream of the crop of the NFC, and both or I'd say the the Packers have looked bad in, in certain games. And New Orleans, who knows who the quarterback's really going to be in the last few weeks and getting into the playoffs with Drew Brees, a 42-year-old man having to come back from 11 or 17 or 25 broken ribs. So strange things in, in, uh, in the NFC. But with that, we're going to turn to the Random Raven before we preview 
Ravens, Browns. And Tim is up this week. Tim, who do you have for us? Um, all right, so here are your clues here. Clue number one. This player played for the Ravens from 2001 to 2004. Clue number two. After being drafted in the fourth round out of Western Illinois, he didn't start one game in his rookie year for Baltimore. However, in the next three seasons, he started all but two games. So in years two, three, four was a significant piece for this team. Clue number three. He ranks 18th in all-time solo tackles in Ravens history with 234. But he only forced two fumbles and had one interception during his time in Baltimore. 18th all-time in solo tackles in Ravens history. Only forced two fumbles and only had one pick during his time in Baltimore. Clue number four. He left Baltimore after the 2004 season to sign a six-year, $26.25 million deal with the Atlanta Falcons. Six years? Six years. But he only spent two injury-riddled seasons in Atlanta, featuring in a total of 13 regular season games. Personally, he is the first Raven I remember to sign a lucrative free agent deal only to do nothing with his new team, which has become a theme in Ravens history. But for whatever reason, this is the first guy I remember um, as a youngin when he was signed to Atlanta in 2004. Clue number five. The number he wore with Baltimore has also been worn by a load of past and future random Ravens. There's no one significant on this list. Some of the, quote, notable players uh, are Tavares Gooden, (laughs) Tim Williams, and Josh Bynes, who was probably the most famous Raven to wear this number outside of our random Raven. And here's a bonus for you, a fun, fun, interesting bonus I found while doing some research. This player is featured in seasons one and two of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. I didn't know that before doing the, my research, but yeah, he is featured in seasons one and two of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. That's such Incredible. a great fun fact to reach all of the listeners. Uh, yeah, I know of Pod Like a Raven. The many it's thousands a good crossover. Of Pod Like a Raven and Real Housewives fans. You know, big crossover there. I, uh, I have I a think guess. I got it. Jace yeah. looks more confident. Yeah, yeah I have I a name, but. Uh, didn't get it until the latter close. Uh, would not have guessed he was a Western Illinois Leathernecks legend. <laughs> but uh, who knew? The more you know. Uh, That's why we have Tim on the clues here. But yeah, I think I have a name. We'll have Tim uh, reveal that, or Jace and I guess, uh, at the end of the episode. But first, it's time to talk about what has come down to the biggest game of the Ravens season a week 13 matchup i believe that's right is it week 13 or is it week 14 week 14 in in the nfl week 14 matchup with the cleveland browns we all knew this to start the season we all had this circled on the calendar this will be the game that will decide the ravens playoff fates potentially cleveland nine and three ravens seven and five we're going to talk first about the Ravens' offense versus the Browns' defense. And I turn to you, my co-hosts. What do the Ravens need to do offensively to come out of this game with points and with a win, specifically facing this Browns' defense? 
I think it's got to be a similar pattern. I know we, we stress on this all the time, but it's especially important against the Browns. Ball security is, like, number one for me. Uh, the Browns are fourth in takeaway differentials, so they uh, they force a lot of takeaways. Obviously, they'd probably have an even greater takeaway differential if Baker didn't throw so many interceptions. <laughs> um, but uh, the Browns are really good at forcing turnovers this year, and um, that's something the Ravens just cannot afford to do in this game. Um, and I think you'd like to try to carry over. Obviously, the, you're not going to run for 294 yards uh, like you were against the Cowboys. They were the worst uh, run defense. The Browns, uh, you know, significantly better. They have the eighth best run defense. So you want to try to run. Um, they're much worse against the pass, but we have literally the least. Uh, we're 32nd in the league in passing yards per game. So. How much of an advantage is that for the Ravens? It seems like not one, um, but you got to you gotta at least try to run and take care of the ball. Um, you know, Lamar's had success against the Browns in the past. His best game of the season passing was obviously in week one against the Browns, so you have some hope there, um, I'd say. But obviously, the Ravens are a different team, too. A lot of injuries, offensive line is drastically different than it was for that week one game at this point um so for me i think you have to first and foremost take care of the ball and then try to try to get the pass game going a little more than we saw against the cowboys but um it's gonna be difficult it's not gonna be easy so i think for me this game kind of we'll get to it but relies on what they do on the defensive side here (laughs) yeah i mean mark andrews was taken off the covid list uh already on wednesday willie sneed uh, presumably, as you listen to this, might be off already. He's supposed to go off on on Thursday, so having a couple more weapons there is right. But Jace, you nail it, and I'll I'll only tack on. The run game is so important because it won't allow Miles Garrett to pin his ears back and get after Lamar Jackson um, in, in a passing game. If you're getting down ten, God forbid, seventeen at any point in the game, where you really just have to throw the ball, um, I would say. You know, if you if you have if you have any trick plays, if you have any sort of different schemes or different designs, this is the game for it. This is the toughest game on the Ravens schedule, uh, the rest of the Ravens schedule. And for me, I mean, Antonio kind of alluded to it. I think they have to win out for a chance to playoffs still, especially with what happened last week um, with some of the other AFC contenders. This is a kitchen sink game for me for the Ravens. They have to win this game. Um, to kind of climb up the ranks in the in the playoffs. And so, you know, I, I think establishing the run is important and stuff, but don't just be vanilla cookie cutter because the Browns will see that coming. The Browns have a much better defense, as, as you alluded to, Jace. So be consistent with your run game, hopefully a strong run game. Be surprising. And then with all of that kind of ties into the third thing for me, don't let Miles Garrett live in the backfield. Um, Orlando Brown v. Miles Garrett or DJ Fluker v. Miles Garrett is a significant win for the defense on most um, on most plays. So you need to do what you can to make sure he's not recording a three sack, one forced fumble type of day uh, against you on Monday Night Football. Yeah, the only thing I'll add, sort of dovetails right out of that last point, Tim, is I would love to see stability on the offensive line. That has been a turnstile in terms of who is playing where. 
and who's healthy and who's playing well. Orlando Brown Jr. and Bradley Bozeman on the left side have, you know, Bozeman's been there, but Orlando Brown has moved to left tackle on those two. That's that's pretty much set. The center right guard right tackle of this team has changed week in, week out. It was something different again. Uh, in this past, I was about to say this Sunday, but the game wasn't Sunday. It wasn't even Monday. It was a Tuesday, just your Tuesday NFL game. <laughs> Macari played center after Cologne Castillo played the week before that, after Skura played two weeks before that. Uh, Tyree Phillips came back and was playing right tackle in place of DJ Fluker, but then I believe Fluker was in at right tackle at a certain point later on in the game. So I would love to see five guys start and play the entire game because there's no need for them to come out for different reasons. If the offensive line has even an average game, not an above average game, but just an average game in terms of run blocking, pass blocking, uh, I think the skill position guys for the Ravens will do enough to to make a a big enough dent point-wise on the offensive side to make this a a win for the Ravens. Uh, As we turn defensively, where Jace believes this is the more important side of the ball this week. I'm going to go ahead and, and assume that you say that stopping the run is somewhat important in this game, yes, but I'll, I'll let uh, you take it away. Yeah, so this game features the Ravens, the number one rushing team, versus the Browns, the number two rushing team. Um, and the Browns do have a better run defense. They're eighth. The Ravens are down to 13th in rush yards, uh, defensive rush yards per game. And that's a problem, um, especially given this opponent... You know, Nick Chubb's back. Let's look solid. Uh, Kareem Hunt's still there. Both those guys had way better uh, games in the Ravens' first meeting with the Browns than uh, I remembered them having. Uh, I don't know if you all recall, but they uh, Kareem Hunt had 72 yards on 13 carries, and Nick Chubb had 60 yards on 10 carries in that game. But for some reason, Baker Mayfield threw it 39 times uh, in the Week 1 matchup. Uh I think since then, Kevin Stefanski, the Browns, have kind of figured out the formula for them. It's uh, We've talked about it on the show in recent weeks. A lot less Baker, a lot more of those two backs. Um, and I just have concerns with that, especially given we mentioned uh, Clay's Campbell coming off the COVID list, coming off a calf injury, clearly not 100%. That's a concern. Brandon Williams is back, which that is big, and he played very well, I thought. Um in Tuesday's game, but, uh, they're going to have to, at least as close, he, cause he probably won't be a hundred percent, but they, they need Calais Campbell, uh, more than they did against the Cowboys, certainly, uh, in this game, because if the Browns are able to run, I think it could be a long, a pretty long day. We mentioned the Ravens are 32nd in passing yards per game. The Browns are 27th. So this isn't going to be, uh, a super, you know, pass happy game. Theoretically, both teams want to run the ball. And for the Ravens, it'll kind of come down to, you know, if they're able to stop the run, which they have at times, but then we've seen the Derrick Henry go off. As I said, in the first matchup, the Browns actually ran the ball pretty well. They just got so behind and kind of relying on the pass game, it kind of unraveled them. Um, But if they can run, I think the Ravens could be potentially in trouble, obviously. It'll certainly make it a lot longer game, and they'll need some weird fluky stuff, some Baker turnovers to happen if they're not able to stop the run. Yeah, for me... Um, you know, you kind of nail it. I will say Wyatt Teller, who has been incredible, the guard for the Browns, uh, on Tuesday, he was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. He did not test positive for COVID-19, but
but something to keep an eye on. If he can't go, that's, that helps the Ravens' interior significantly. This could, you know, if the Ravens win, this will happen type of thing. Maybe a little bit of a Derek Wolf coming out party. Derek Wolf has played very well. He, you know, he's in a position that doesn't get a lot of recognition and kind of in that Brandon Williams type role as well. You don't really see it until you it all kind of totals up and you're like, oh yeah, there's Derek Wolf again. Oh, there's Derek Wolf <laughs> blowing up two guys on the defense on the offensive line. There's Derek Wolf getting inside for a two yard loss or a one yard game, whatever it is. That Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf, and then hopefully a much healthier Calais Campbell. Uh, will be massive. And then, you know, because, Jace, you kind of nailed that. For me, if you do that, there is more of a chance of forcing turnovers because you're putting it into a turnover machine's hands <laughs> in Baker Mayfield. Force turnovers. You know, we haven't seen a fruit punch in a while. Haven't had a Marcus Peters pick in a while. A couple of those would be great. Turnovers, it sounds it sounds silly, but for a, for a team, that, like you said, Jace, this whole... I mean, the, the amount that Troy Aikman on, on uh, the Dallas game was like, man, I was expecting more from this Ravens defense. He clearly hasn't watched the Ravens defense since 2006. Uh, <laughs> they're not that team anymore, So, at, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They need turnovers. They have, they've gotten a couple, but those playmakers stepping up would be big, and a lot of that starts if, as Jace uh pointed out you negate the run game and force them to throw the ball and allow you know Marcus Peters and allow Marlon Humphrey to do what they do best yeah I love Trey Aikman admitting that he wasn't really prepared for his job of (laughs) announcing a game and having seen film relevant recent film of the team that he's calling yeah the only thing I will add to this I I also would like two fumbles and two interceptions uh, in this game. Mm-hmm. And that is, the, that is the expectation that Pod Like a Raven is laying down on this team entering this game is four turnovers. In a much a much smaller request is can you tackle well, please? Uh, I have nightmares of Nick Chubb breaking Raven's arm tackles and, and uh, attempted blow-up tackles that do nothing because the guy is a unit. I'm pretty sure, I saw a stat, I don't want to misquote this now, but they showed a stat during the Titans game, and Nick Chubb averages like 4.4 yards a carry after contact, and that has nothing to do with any yards he gains before contact, so clearly that is his strong suit. I'm looking at you, LJ Fort, Uh, Patrick Queen, the underside, like break all the undersized stereotypes this week and and wrap up a, a big back. And if they can tackle well, if they can keep the runs to two, three yards instead of five, six, seven yards, that will force Baker to throw. That is where we get the fumbles and the interceptions galore. That is where the pass rush can be in situations where you know passes are more predictable and, and they can blitz more strategically. And I'm, I'm a little nervous. Uh, the line for this game is minus one. I'm going to come out and say it that I'm picking the Ravens this week at minus one. Ravens on the road, favorites against a team with a better record. And I'm kind of going with my heart this week. I, uh, if, if I were a neutral fan, I might not pick the Ravens. I, I might see this as a situation where the Ravens have struggled against good teams and the Browns have just come off of a big win uh, in a prove-it moment for them, so what gives basically why is this line what it is but i am going with i'm a ravens fan at heart i'm an optimist uh when it comes to football anyway 
and I think the Ravens got right on the ground uh, offensively, even against a bad opponent, but that's enough. Lamar Jackson was smiling. He was tapping people on the helmets. He's back. He's happy to be playing football, uh, and I think he makes enough plays. I think the running game does just enough, and the defense just minimize the damage. Minimize the damage on the ground, and I am taking the Ravens. Um, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys give your picks and offer any final thoughts, maybe special teams and tangibles here. Uh, or anything else that you want to talk about along with your pick for the Ravens game? Um, similar to you, I uh, am taking the Ravens minus one this week. Uh, I don't have a ton of great justifications for my belief, but I do think the Ravens win this game. Uh, I think uh, this is a talented team. You know, we've talked all year. This isn't the team that went 14-2, and two, but this still is a good football team. And Lamar Jackson's back. And seemingly healthy, and um, I think he is going to rise to the occasion. This is the game. This is <laughs> the time. Uh, as for, you know, uh, intangibles, I do not think Justin Tucker, his missed field goal is going to be a lingering thing. I always have faith in him. Maybe we get a late field goal. But I believe the Ravens are going to win this game on Monday Night Football. Uh, I'm Unless I'm mistaken, the last time they played the Browns on Monday Night Football was probably the kick six, so that's fun. We'll probably see some footage of that. Um, Yeah, I I don't have too many good justifications, but I do believe the Ravens win this game, so I'm taking them minus three. I would have loved if the Browns were favored. Then I really would have believed the Ravens win this game, but I'm still taking the Ravens. Minus one, though. You get two free points, Jace. Ravens minus minus one. one. (laughs) (sighs) You both have picked the Ravens with your heart, and I have even less faith and less justification in still selecting the Ravens minus one Let's in go. this game. Um, I, it's scary to me because what I wanted was the perfect scenario is the Browns are favored in this game. They're going in. Everybody's G'ing them up as this. The Browns have finally made it. The Browns are finally a good team. And we go into Monday night and send that depressed fan base and city back to where they belong, and that is the bottom. And unfortunately, the Ravens, for whatever reason, I assume because this is way more important for them than it is the Browns um, in terms of playoff implications, the Ravens are favored. Again, I don't think the Ravens should be favored in this game. If it was anything but one, if it was any higher than one, the spread, I should say, I'd be picking the Browns and a close Ravens win. Because it's only one, if I want the Ravens to win, I pretty much have to pick the Ravens. So that is what I'm doing. Um And you know what? Yeah, let's say it. Lamar Jackson coming out game. Maybe they run the ball down their throat a little bit. And it's the Browns in prime time. Come on. Like, I can't I can't justify picking them as well. Uh, so for me, I'm going Browns. I'll it's... go the rest of my picks here, too, uh, just as we're running through. Uh, I won the Ravens, as Orlando Brown said. Easy money. Minus seven. Uh, won the New England Pick'em, as I mentioned before, the 45 nothing game. That was you really had to sweat. You had to sweat that game out, Tim. Yeah, and another game I had to sweat out. I mean, again, if I was a gambler, that, that would have been a very easy week last week. Buffalo minus one away to San Francisco. That line made no sense to me either, and Buffalo proved it. This week, Daniel Jones is coming back, and the New York Giants have a legit defense. And they're at home. And they're a dog against the Arizona Cardinals, who we mentioned before, I think are kind of fraudy. So give me the Giants and those two points at home 
to the Cardinals. I don't love it. I should say I don't I don't love this week in general. But I'm taking them. And then Kansas City minus seven away to Miami. I know when we took them against Tampa and they actually ended up not covering, even though they should have because they blew that team out. Kansas City is a touchdown better than Miami. Simple as that. So give me them minus seven in the heat uh, away to the Dolphins. Yeah, I, I have the Chiefs as well, uh, Tim, at minus seven. The, the The Dolphins are a good team, but they definitely struggled more with that Bengals team than they probably should have. Uh, so I've been waiting for the Chiefs to really tee off on someone for a while. I think this might be the game. Um, the other one I wanted to pick uh, just because, you know, Taysom Hill, he is what he is. Uh, I believe he's still in line to start this week. But the New Orleans Saints are playing the Philadelphia Eagles, who are an abomination of a team, and they are seven-point favorites. And I easily believe the Chiefs or the Chiefs, the Saints, can win that game uh, by at least seven points. Um, you're throwing Jalen Hurts kind of into the up against the Wolves, you know, uh, one of the better defenses in the league, kind of throwing him into the pit. Um, I don't know. I just think it's a rough situation for him. I think the Saints defense is good. and There's no reason the Eagles, like the Eagles aren't winning this game. And so I just, I have no faith in the Eagles. I think they're one of the worst teams in the league. And so I'm going with the Saints. That's that's, my Saints minus seven. That's that's the final pick for me. Yeah, I have sort of similar picks to what you guys have said, just maybe packaged a little differently. Uh, Last week I went two and one. I, I should have had a perfect week, uh, if not for Steelers' fourth quarter incompetence uh, and choosing not to kick a field goal to win a game late. But, you know, I digress. So, 2-1, and 20-12 for the season. And we ride on this week with the Ravens, as mentioned, minus one. I'm taking the Bills, minus two and a half. They are hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I've been trash-talking Pittsburgh for the last two or three weeks, so if I believe that they're bad, I do not think they beat a legitimately good Buffalo team who gets a home game now. Um, and I think Buffalo wins that by by a touchdown, much less a field goal. So Bills minus two and a half, and then I'm I'm back to my teases. Uh, that's what they that's what they've said to me. Uh, three team six point tease. I'm taking the Chiefs that you guys have mentioned, but I'm taking them at minus one against Miami. If they cannot beat the Dolphins, then I don't know what's going on with the Chiefs. Chiefs minus one. The Saints are moving from minus seven also to minus one against the Eagles. Again, that game may be close for longer than it needs to be, but the Saints do not lose that game. And then I'm moving the Tennessee Titans. They're playing the Jags this week. I'm moving that line down to minus one and a half. Three teams that are better than their opponents with lines that are minus one or minus one and a half. I'm writing that. I'm writing that check. I guess I shouldn't say writing that check because that means I'm gonna have to pay somebody. I am opening the bank. I'm ready for the money to come from that three team tease, and then I'm taking the Bills and the Ravens this week. Tim, can you hit us with the random Raven clues one more time, and then we can get out of here. Sure. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, clue number one: This player played for the Ravens from 2001 to 2004. Clue number two, after being drafted in the fourth round out of Western Illinois, he did not start one single game in his rookie year for Baltimore. However, in the next three seasons, he started all but two games. Uh, He ranks 18th all-time in solo tackles in Ravens history with 234, but 
He only forced two fumbles and had one interception during his time in Baltimore. Uh, clue number four, he left Baltimore after the 2004 season to sign a six-year, $26.25 million deal with the Atlanta Falcons, but he only spent two injury-riddled seasons there, featuring in a total of 13 regular season games. And personally, a personal anecdote, he is the first of a long line of Ravens I remember personally to sign a lucrative free agent deal only to do nothing with his new squad. Clue number five, the number he wore with Baltimore has been worn by, frankly, a billion random Ravens, both past and future. Some notable quote-unquote players to wear this number include Tavares Gooden, Tim Williams, and Josh Bynes, past random Raven Josh Bynes. And bonus, this player also is featured in seasons one and two of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Which, you know, I don't know if that helped anybody. If it, By the way, if it did help you, let us know, at Pod Like a Raven on Twitter and Instagram, if that's the clue that helped you with this week's Random Raven. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from the listeners as well. But, uh, Antonio, I turn it to you first because you're not as certain. So I want you to get your guess out before Jace has a go. Because I think Jace has it. He seemed pretty confident when I read out clue number four the first time we did this. So who do you think it is? Yeah, I was lost with the college. Um, the tackles helped... And then, weirdly, the number helps. So let me say this as a sort of like a soft opening here. Is the number 56 by any chance? The number is 56. Okay. Then I will guess slightly more confidently that that player is Ed Hartwell. That's who I thought it was as well, yes. That's who I believe this to be. Edrogen Hartwell is the random Raven. Obviously played next to Ray Lewis when the Ravens moved to a 3-4 defense. The first... The first middle linebacker next to Ray to get a massive deal and then, you know, not be Ray Lewis with his new team. Yeah, I, I remember. So I, I actually remember. I think that was like why I got it. I remember him going to the Falcons, I guess. I was I didn't know that deal was that long. <laughs> Six years. <laughs> Six years. Six that's, years. That's wild. Uh Patrick Mahomes signed a 10-year deal. So <laughs> and Hartwell got a six. But uh um no, I remember being sad he left because I really enjoyed him as a player at the time. But uh, I guess we were in middle school probably when he left. But um, but Bart Scott immediately assumed kind of the starting role next to Ray and was better than Ed Hartwell. So kind of made people kind of made me certainly forget about Ed Hartwell. But he was good for a while there for the Ravens. I want to a very classic. Uh, only really does tackles and still yet still got a big deal. Not a lot of forced fumbles, not a lot of picks, doesn't <laughs> do a whole lot of anything else, but still got a big deal. So, yeah, like you said, classic uh, Ravens defender getting signed by another team that probably to a deal that was bigger than he should have gotten, but good for him. I enjoy the three-year starter being 18th in the franchise history in tackles also. That's a young team. That's a young franchise. Baby franchise, baby franchise productive uh, player though <laughs> tim that is a that is a pull that is a the really the definition of a random raven um a little surprised that we hadn't done him yet due to his randomness yet just so many tackles but yeah good for you at hartwell way to get that six year deal um and we will add him to the to the defense of the random ravens and then at some point maybe in the off season we'll have to look at the list of names that we put together and, and come up with a, maybe a starting 11 of the random Ravens that we've come up with on both sides of the ball. But that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you for listening to us. Thanks for checking in again on a sort of a strange week for us, a strange day to be putting an episode out. 
Um, we will be back. The Ravens playing Monday night coming up, so we will be back on Wednesday next week with an episode talking about how the Ravens stepped up to the plate in what is going to be a very stressful and frustrating and nail-biting game, but we will be talking about a Ravens victory over the Browns in our next episode. So we will see you for Tim Horsey and Jace Evans. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.